Before we get started with the last Ashtanga Dispatch podcast of 2018, I want to share with you a few exciting events coming up in 2019. The Art of Becoming is a five-week online course for women I'll be offering twice next year as a way to empower women through the practice of yoga and meditation. The course includes five small group live sessions, access to a library of video and audio tutorials, and ongoing regular support through a private group on Slack. The first course begins January 6th, and you can find registration and other information on the website, ashtangadispatch.com. You'll also find other opportunities for us to connect and practice in the new year, like this coming April in Scotland, where I'll be leading a retreat at the Magical Eco Yoga Center, followed by a full, exciting weekend with the peeps at Merchant City Yoga in Glasgow. Again, visit ashtangadispatch.com for details on these events and more. Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. I'm Peg Mulqueen. And I'm Megan Powell. Today's guest is teacher Mark Roberts. Our favorite yogi to stalk on Instagram. Of course, that's not just true for us, Megan, but about 115,000 other social media yogis too. Mark is so interesting. Within his Instagram account, he not only shares cool images, but instructional ones. His is a feed you don't just scroll past, but want to sit down and read. Because he really takes the time in his posts to break movement down, give step-by-step tips, and occasionally there's even a history lesson thrown in there. And that's why we'd plan this episode as like a cool opportunity to sit down and geek out with him a little in the areas of asana and movement. You know, pick his brain. Maybe get some insight for practice. Stuff like that. That's not entirely what ended up happening. He definitely shared a lot about movement, like how variety is critical for our physical development, and in Ashtanga in particular, a way to balance out some more of the extreme movements sometimes involved. But speaking of Ashtanga, Mark also shared his feelings on a few more serious topics within our community in particular, like the sexual abuse that took place in the practice room with Patabi Joyce, And then the whole debacle when Mark was temporarily stripped of his teaching certification simply for exploring different approaches to the practice. You know, I personally appreciated him bringing both those subjects up. I doubt either one was easy to talk about, especially in a podcast. Yeah, I know it is for me. I mean, it's a whole lot safer sticking with body mechanics, honestly. Especially because I often get things wrong in the moment. I say the wrong thing. I give the wrong information. Speaking of which, we should make a few corrections in this episode. First, it is Seth Powell of Yogic Studies that Mark refers to for his course in philosophy, not Seth Godin, though he's done plenty of great online work too. And I want to correct something said in this episode and in a previous one that I did with Mary Taylor. Karen Rains is probably the first person within the Ashtanga Yoga community to publicly share accounts of sexual abuse in the practice room with Patabi Joyce. Now, I credited Mary Taylor and an initial blog that she wrote as the first, as does Mark in today's episode. 
And that's probably just because that's the first we heard about it. Like I said, I'm not always going to get it right. But as I learn more, as I grow, I think it's important that I clarify, right? Definitely. Anything else? We should mention that we have links to the many resources Mark mentions on the website, as well as a link to Mark's Instagram account, which I highly recommend you start following if you don't already. Visit ashangadispatch.com and click on the episode with Mark for those. Now, on to today's episode. Closing out 2018 is Mark Roberts. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. What's the time there? It is 6.30 in the evening. Okay. This is so exciting because you get to close out the year. Oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. This is a lot. This is the last one, and you are, like, one of the most requested people for the podcast. Really? Yeah, we basically stalk your Instagram every day. So that... Uh, yeah, I saw that actually this morning. I saw that you'd like to post on... <laughs> I was going through all of your posts trying to get some of the history. Like, I was trying to remember all of the ones I wanted to ask you about. So could you see that I bookmarked a whole bunch of them? <laughs> No, no, I didn't say that much. <laughs> okay, now it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward moment. Well, I did. Um, <laughs> because, Mark, your Instagram account, literally, I was thinking to myself, you should write a book. There is so much interesting information. It's, it's like a rabbit hole I went down today. Right. Yeah, a lot of people tell me I should write a book, but I'm, yeah, I'm just not sure, like, how the format would be. Uh, well, maybe, maybe I should just send you my bookmarks. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. Well let, good start. well, let me start, because I have so many questions. I actually wrote questions down, which I rarely do, but I, I went back, and it looks like 2017 Something started with you. Something different shifted. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was definitely a big shift at that point. Well, you got married too, right? That was the year you got married. That was, we got married in February 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, talk to me about the change. Yeah. Yeah, tell me what happened. Well, um, around 2014, I started uh, getting sort of inspired by Ido Portal. Who is that? Sorry. Uh, who, who is Ido Portal? Oh my gosh, Hello? no. I know, that's what Megan is looking at me like too. She's doing the same yeah. thing. Hello. Yeah. Wait. So yeah, you need to um, do ah. some research on Ido. So he's, he's kind of the guy who started the whole movement culture trend that is happening right now okay i have homework go on (laughs) so i actually i started uh online training with him in late 2015 and i think also this was kind of the time when instagram really started to explode and so i started just seeing all these different 
people out there, you know, like doing all these different things. Um, like, for example, the one on handstand. So I started getting, you know, into all that different ideas of movement. Um, and my own practice was kind of peaking at that moment. Um, like I was, I had just done my last, the last time I went to Mysore was in the end of 2015, going into 2016. Um, and then something, I mean, there's a lot, lot of stuff going on, but I'll tell you something that struck me the other day. I was going through it myself, the history of kind of like this, the change that you're talking about. And, um, yeah, something happened like it was the season of 2016 to 17, I applied to get into Mysore. Well, actually, I didn't. I, I wrote to Usha to try to get in, and she said, you can't get in, it's full. You can't come, it's full. And so then at that moment, I kind of realized that something, maybe something was up, as in, like, up until that point, I'd always been able to go to Mysore whenever I wanted to go, basically. You know, I could just write a letter to Shroud and he would say, yeah, yeah, you come. Um, so then I realized maybe something was going on and we were, actually we were going to get married in Mysore. That was our original intention because um, we wanted to be there. We wanted Shroud to come. And he basically, basically said we couldn't come to Mysore to practice, so we ended up going somewhere else. We went to Kerala to get for our wedding. Um, and then later that year, it was around 8 April, that was the time when the confluence was on in San Diego. And at that time, uh, I received a couple of messages from friends saying, hey, Mark, you know, we've heard like people are talking about you and there's the rumor that you're going to get taken off the list. And sure enough, the next time I looked, so that was like in April, I had been taken off the list. Uh, so I realized something, my intuition about why I hadn't been uh, accepted into my soul, there was some, some truth about that. So I wrote to Usha and asked her what was going on, and she said basically that they'd been told that I was not teaching the traditional method, that I was incorporating all these other different things into my teaching, and they were waiting for me to explain myself. Uh, so... Yeah, I explained myself, and then I was put back on the list. But it kind of left a bad feeling in, within me, you know, that, that people were kind of like within the community were out there judging me and like reporting me to, you know, it's like uh, like being at school, high school kind of thing. I wish you could see my face. Are you serious? Well, this is this the truth. There was, there was some truth to that because in, in the sense that, yeah, okay, like in my own explorations of movement, I started to incorporate these things into my workshops and uh, into my own practice, starting to explore different approaches to the practice. So I guess in that sense, yes, I was not being 100% traditional, whatever that means. I don't even really know where to start with this. Can I just ask you a question, though? What what was your explanation? I mean, not like you would have to explain, but what, what exactly did you explain? Like, how did you explain yourself? So what I said was, uh, you know, like, we're teaching a traditional MISO program. Like, when we do, like, when we do our intensives, 
uh, and we do the lab class, but we also teach other things. We teach philosophy, we teach hunting, and we teach alignment kind of base workshops where we explore different uh, movement principles, but all relating to the practice, all taught in a way as to try to help people to better understand and to deepen their practice. Well, I know I speak for about 100,000 followers of yours when I say I am so grateful for the information that you share so generously through your account. Thank you. Thank you. In fact, I have a list of questions basically that you have just um, inspired in me. You just have a fascinating way of looking at things differently. The first time I started, I think the first time I reached out to you was when you wrote about pulling um, or hanging. Uh, yeah, hanging. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that as opposed to the yoga practice where we do a lot of pushing and where you started bringing in the idea of hanging or pulling? Yeah, so Richard used to make that joke, you know, you don't want to be a pusher. You need to do some pulling movements, you know, and uh, have you, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, yeah. Yeah, and then again, so Edo Portal came out with this 30-day uh, hanging challenge, and so he was uh, introducing the use of gymnastics rings, and, you know, because I was following Edo by that time, so I also started working with the gymnastics rings, and... Yeah, just the idea that, like you said, we're doing so much pushing, so it's creating an imbalance in the body. Um, so by pulling, we start to create more balance. And, you know, I think a lot of, uh, you know, yoga practitioners are scared they're going to get stiff or tight if they do this kind of movement. But actually, my experience is it just makes you stronger. You know, because when you bring about more balance in the body, this makes everything just work better. Yeah, I think that sometimes we get really afraid of getting of losing flexibility. Yeah, totally. But everyone's upset with that. Well, I find that that causes more problems for me. Is actually an abundance of flexibility. Do you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean that's also the changes. One of the things that. Uh, you know, as I reached my early 40s, I started to notice my body was feeling a little unstable. I was starting to have a few problems with my knees and hips. And I thought, you know, if I want to be able to uh, be healthy and feel like, uh, you know, that I'm still going to be active into old age, I need to do something else. I need to balance out all this, you know, in, in these extreme movements that I've been doing for so long. Yeah, you've mentioned also the lack of leg work. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, once you, because in, in the beginning you have the standing poses, but after a while your body totally becomes a climb, you know, used to those movements and they become easy. Or even like, uh, you know, the nature of the practices that for me anyway, like I was always trying to conserve energy during the sun salutations and standing poses to save my energy for the peak poses in whatever series, right? Yeah. So, 
you know, like I remember when I was learning intermediate series, like my I'd be trying to save all my energy for Krandavasana. So I would be doing all the sun salutation standing and everything with as minimal effort as possible. So there's, you know, like you're not really, uh, your body's not being, you're not doing any strength work anymore. I think we're sitting over here with guilty looks on our faces. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah, I mean, we do that, right? The practice is kind of, it's like an endurance practice. You need to have that stamina to last for two, two hours. In my thought, the last time I went, my practice was getting so long. I was doing all of third and three quarters of fourth. It was like a marathon, you know, and actually like I would feel like it would take me the whole day to recover almost. Well, I will tell you, I looked at one of your leg workouts that you posted on Instagram and I don't know, I got tired watching, I got sore watching you do it. <laughs> Which, uh, which one was that? You are standing and you're lifting a knee and going out to the side and then you're doing... Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Holy like, cow. Like pistol squat, dragon squat, oh, all those kind of absolutely. single leg squats. Yes. The squatting okay. is so hard. Did you try it? Um, yes. And that's what made me think of it is here we're worried about doing all of intermediate <laughs> or all of third, doing five minutes of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> was killer but I did notice that with me in the past year I started spending more time in the standing poses way more time like really because yeah. you're right I was not getting I was not getting what I needed out of them yeah yeah sure I mean I guess that's the like you could say with all the like the vinyasa classes vinyasa flow all that kind of stuff one thing they do do is they emphasize a lot of standing postures in Ashtanga, we kind of we don't do that. They just become less and less. No, half the time I feel like I'm pulling myself around by my upper body. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, in the advanced, like advanced A, there are a few. You know, you've got Tripakramasana, Nattarajasana, these kind of Dikasana. I'm going to ask you a question I didn't write down. Do you think that there is benefit in some of those later postures? Speaking of vinyasa classes that maybe over time they would be important for overall health. I mean, you said Trivi Kramasana, and I do know that there's some teachers that actually will include that in the standing postures and the foundational ones. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I first went to Mysore, everybody was doing it pretty much. So it was definitely there before. Um, and, yeah, yeah, like kind of comes back to that whole thing about uh, just having movement variety and that's the question that we have to consider like as Vashtangis is doing the same practice year in and year out uh, is that enough for us to, for the rest of our lives so that's something that Ido talks about a lot is like the importance as humans for movement complexity just to be learning new things is very very important for our, our brains our development as, as humans to continue to learn. You started yeah. learning dance. Yeah, learning dance, learning capoeira, just, yeah, learning like lots of new stuff, you know. Talk to me a little bit of the capoeira because that looks so interesting to me. Uh, yeah, actually, my teacher from Bali is here at the moment, so after this I'm going to have a, a lesson with him. 
No. Uh, I love it. It's like that was something in my 20s, even when I was getting into yoga, I ha- kind of had an eye on capoeira, but I never pursued it as a, as a practice or as a path. But I just was always attracted to, like, just the fluidity of the movement and, you know, that like these dynamic movements, all the acrobatics. It's kind of like what martial is, arts, right? Is it? It is. It is a martial art. Yeah, it's a, it was a martial art disguised as dance in a way, and it has this beautiful. It's like really, it's, it has music. It's definitely it's got a sacred kind of energy about it. Something like that you can really relate with yoga. It's a kind of ceremonial thing. And it's also very playful. So you're doing everything with a partner, you know? So all the movements just becomes very spontaneous and playful. And for me, that's something that we miss a little bit in the Asanga practice uh, because we go into our own little worlds, you know? Like, but even if we're in a Mysore room, we're kind of in our own zone. Which is beautiful, but uh, you know, we, something important for humans also is that interaction and that play. Oh, I agree. It looks beautiful, yeah. and I just have been so interested watching. It's not like we have think we'll have to go to Bali or somewhere else because yeah. like, it's certainly not in Bozeman, Montana. I can I can tell you <laughs> that. <laughs> not yet, huh? Not not yet. <laughs> You recently wrote a post that I caught Megan's eye and she asked me about it. And you said that at one time you considered yourself more of a specialist and now would say you're more of a generalist. Uh-huh. Okay. So this is, again, this is, I mean, Ido made this term. He, I don't think he coined the term, but he's the one that's made it, uh, you know, in popular culture. A lot of people know about this concept. Um, and again, it just goes, it's like addressing that idea that you become specialist in something, then, you know, you, you kind of limiting your, your growth as a human, you know, you're narrowing your field to one sort of expertise. And also one of the dangers of like specializing in something, particularly if it's like movement, uh, is that at some point you're kind of creating inflammation in your body because you're doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, whereas if you're doing a variety of different things, there are a variety of different movements, this is, uh, a, in some people's opinion, more healthy for the body. And also for the brain, you know, as, our, you know, as we evolve and grow and develop in life so it can be anything you know learning languages learning music learning dance just you know branching out going for a walk (laughs) going swimming you know that's something that i've been sort of getting back into because we're we're living on the beach in goa and it's like i used to love swimming i used to love running uh um so i don't want to lose that as i get old you know and if you don't use it you lose it right it's true. I don't know. Yeah. So I noticed, like, recently, as like, just going for runs, like, I didn't feel that same ability to run that I had in my 30s, you know? So I don't want to lose that. I'm with you. In my 40s, I think I was scared to do anything outside the yoga practice 
like mm-hmm. it would interfere or take away the really limited way of thinking. But now in my fifties, I, I feel like it helps, but I feel like they contribute yeah. to each other physically, but also Absolutely. other ways. Yeah. And I'll just add like, you know, one important point is that if you, you know, you get best at what you do the most. So if you want to get uh, good in the stronger, then you do need to specialize in it. There's no, no doubt about it. So that's a decision that you have to make, you know. Uh, and I did that. Like I, I devoted that almost 20 years to just the practice. And there was a time when I really believed that it was everything. You know, I used to think, you know, it was an all-in-one package that it was meditation, it was pranayama, it was uh, physical, it, it replaced going to the gym, it replaced uh, doing any other kind of movement. That was all you needed to do was fish under practice. But yeah, you know, recently I've started to change my view on all of that. It leaves me in a kind of a, you know, like an unknown zone at the moment because I'm like, okay, so... Does that, what does that mean? Am I still in a Shangi? If I'm not 100% committed to this practice as the be-all be and end-all? Is that what makes you a generalist, do you think? Is that, what you're, is that where it goes, that you're broadening? Yeah, I think so. But, I mean, definitely I'm, I'm experimenting with many, many different things, you know? I feel like that makes it so rich and it is why I turn to your Instagram account so often because there are times when you just do things the same way all that, which there's consistency is beautiful and discipline and all of that, that Ashtanga has brought into my life at times though. And I'm sure that if I wasn't complacent, I could extract maybe some of this information. Certainly it could be a meditation practice, but I do find that I need other ways of looking at movement and even other mindful practices. Yes. Yeah. Just to get a fresh perspective. And what I'm finding is like everything else that I'm learning is informing my practice. It makes me fall in love with my practice more, actually. It doesn't take me away. No, exactly. It's just adding to making it deeper, making it richer. Yeah. Speaking of taking away, you went off Instagram for a little bit of time. We missed you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was going through, you know, my own process with all of that, you know, um, I had, you know, I went, I went pretty much in deep into it from 2016 to 2017, and you know, it it kind of was not healthy for my well-being, for my mental state to be so focused on posting and then worrying about whether it's getting likes and what people are saying about it and all this kind of stuff. And also, I cut myself off from a lot of my old friends, even some of my teachers. Yeah, a lot of people who had been close to me before didn't like uh, me doing what I was doing, which is also very challenging to, you know, to feel that kind of like, you know, that judgment coming from friends and teachers. You almost gave permission though when you did that. That was another, believe it or not, by you 
going off of it was just another way that you taught because sometimes you can feel like you have to keep up and and do you know and, and it feeds both the insecurity and the need but when you went off it was like oh he can go off he can take a break i could do that yeah i think it's healthy to take a break for sure I thought so. And you used that time, though. It looks like you did a lot of studying, like of history. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, I mean, I've been, I read that Mark, I finally got around to reading the Yoga Body book. And then that kind of uh, really sparked something within in me, like a lot of fascination and curiosity about the whole history of it. And then I ended up doing uh, this Seth Godin's Deep Guide from Yogic Studies. And, you know, for a lot of that stuff is when I'm teaching those intensives, we have philosophy classes. So it's neat. I just felt like I needed to get to uh, reconnect all of that stuff. I mean, I've always loved uh, the history and philosophy of yoga. But, um, yeah, this year also a lot of stuff happened, you know, with that uh, Patabi Joyce and Karen Rain and all of that stuff coming out. And, yeah, it just made me question a lot of things. How are you assembling all that information I, that kind of involves your time there in my store too, yes? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I was, I was there from 99. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, when all that started coming out, uh, with Mary Taylor first and then Karen Rain and so on, it was, uh, yeah, it was really kind of shocked me and made me angry, I guess. I was, yeah, I was upset when I found, heard all of that. Because, you know, like, even though I was there, I didn't realize that that was what was going on, you know? Even though people kind of say, if you were there, you must have seen it. Um, I don't, that wasn't my experience, you know? I, I didn't see that. It was not what my perception of it was. Um, but hearing all the, the stories, then I started to do some investigation myself and asking around, and then I realized pretty quickly, yes, it was true, and people knew about it, and it was being covered up. It's, it's really caused um, a lot of people to, even if you weren't there at that time, it's a little come to Jesus in... Yeah in what you believe and in, in, in your practice itself and, and. Oh, oh, totally. I mean, yeah, it made me question so many things. Like, yeah, just, uh, even the whole practice, practice all is coming, you know, like just kind of doesn't make any sense. Have you made any changes based on that? Is there anything that you specifically have done, are doing differently now consciously? Um, well, definitely, definitely now in terms of adjustments, I'm much more like, uh, questioning everything that I'm doing. Like, you know, do I need to do that adjustment? You know, like not just going just because that was like the traditional style adjustment or those were the postures that were adjusted traditionally, you know, I'm questioning all of that. Also trying to bring in this idea of the consent culture trying to understand, you know, like what the student needs and giving them permission 
that you know they don't need to be adjusted and that they should feel confident they should feel comfortable to tell tell us Deepika and I that uh, what's going on and that they you know so that there's more of a communication happening between us uh, it's made me very conscious of like the role that I'm playing you know like am I this authoritarian figure or am I being there as someone to support and uh, nurture people that's beautiful I think a lot of people yeah. have taken that those those kinds of steps it's nice to hear you verbalize those things yeah, I think it's, it's really important yeah there's been so many interesting questions raised the sexual thing was one thing, but also the fist, like the injuries is another thing. You know, I think that's something that needs to be really addressed within the community as well, is uh, just how many injuries there are, you know, and what are we doing and how are we going to change that? I remember that was one of the, when it was about 18, 20 years ago, I guess, when I had first introduced, when I was first introduced to Ashtanga, and that was what was said to me then was, be careful, you'll get hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the same thing my Iyengar teachers, I asked them about going to Mysore, and they said, if you don't mind some pain, you're going to love it. And, you know, at the time, I laughed about it. And over the years, I used to tell that story and as a joke. But, you know, this year, it made me realize, like, it's not a joke. It's not something we should be laughing about. Like that's part of the problem is the fact that we were all kind of just laughing about this thing, you know, that people were getting breaking their knees or having their hamstrings torn or walking around um, with serious back pain and this kind of stuff, you know, like we need to change that. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying all this. Yeah, I think it's very important, you know, like the the, the yoga is supposed to be something that heals you, right? And, you know, the, the first principle of non-harming is uh, being, you know, we need to really live by that. You wrote a post recently on static interpretations of asana. And yeah. you were talking about how I think you were a little frustrated by pictures or understandings of an asana as this is the way it is. Yeah. I mean, if you think about all the you know, light on yoga and then all the anatomy books that kind of came out, they're all based upon static position. So downward dog, your shoulders should be, you know, whatever, protracted, depressed and externally rotated or whatever. But what about also retracting and elevating and uh, protracting whatever, you know, like moving the scapula through four directions or experimenting with internal rotation, external rotation? or moving the pelvis between an anterior pelvic tilt to a posterior pelvic tilt, all of these things can happen in a downward-facing dog, you know? Uh, even, yeah, like, I was, before I spoke to you this morning, I was doing a little practice, and, like, you know, uh, Padahasdasana, mm-hmm. the standing forward, bend hands under the feet, you know, like, we're always told, and I'm sure you've done it, I've done it, we walk around and we make that adjustment where we we spread the shoulders away from the ears, mm-hmm. which may be the right thing for people who are carrying a lot of tension around the neck, but for other people, like actively elevating the shoulders to the ears or moving the scapula, 
is actually something that can feel really good. <laughs> this is why I love what you have to say, because you give permission to explore opposites even. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> something like, you know, same with uh, like backbending. Should we be, should the legs be internally rotated or externally rotated? Why not be strong in both? Why not? Yeah. You know, like if we want to have functional bodies, probably our bodies are going to go into positions that are out of alignment. So we should be strong when our body's not in what's considered to be perfect alignment. Why do you think that we get scared to experiment? Why do you think that's taboo? I think we've just been educated, you know, like, oh, this is correct and this is incorrect like the especially like a classic example is the knee over the heel uh in standing postures so like in Pajvakanasana that became like the you know the norm and that became the law like you should never take your knee past your toes and not just in yoga like that was interesting the parallels between the yoga industry and like like fitness industry and so on so Ayenga had that idea of the knee over the heel and then that also became like widespread in the fitness community. Um, but now there's a movement back towards well, actually, like when you're walking up like stairs, your knee has to go past your toes. If you're hiking up a mountain, your knee's going past your toes all the time. So unless you're unless you're training that, then you're going to be you're probably going to have problems when you're walking. Okay, I never thought of that. Yeah, right. So we kind of get conditioned to believing all these ideas. So there's, you know, I'm following a lot of what's going on in the movement community and the, you know, like excess fitness industries. And there's almost like a counterculture now where everything's like, everything's up for grabs. All the stuff that we were told never to do, now that's becoming like popular to do all the, all the wrong movements. So it's like... The, it maybe it's probably too much, so again, eventually we'll find the middle ground. All right, I'm going to change the subject. Biohacking. What do what you is, what? what do you mean by biohacking? Oh, biohacking. Yes. Okay. So I mean, I I was I took that term. I think it was probably Dave Asprey was the one who maybe I don't know if he came up with it or he was definitely the guy who made that popular. Do you know who he is? He's a bulletproof coffee guy. Oh, I do, do know who he is. <laughs> so he's kind of the one who made that idea popular, I think. So there's a, I mean, Ferris talks about kind of like shortcuts, you know. That is kind of the idea of ways to become a better human, like a more efficient human. Um, so like the little, these little tick, uh, tricks that you can do to biohack. Now, that's like what I've heard a few podcasts with Tim Ferriss where they talk about, um, I mean, even the fasting, right? That's sort of biohacking. Yeah. Biohacking, different like sleeping techniques would be like uh, ways of biohacking, you know, like ice baths and all that kind of cold therapy that's biohacking. Yeah, different ways of eating. You talked about it, though, in movement, didn't you? Wasn't there one with the shoulders, yes. maybe? Yeah, I guess it's kind of like, okay, the idea would be we have our stronger practice and we're trying to get a certain result 
Uh, but using that methodology, we've seen where it takes you. So here's like a biohack to achieve that much faster. And so that would be like introducing a different type of movement. I was just going to say, isn't that exactly what you're talking about by doing other exercises? Exactly. That's biohacking then. It's, I kind of, that's kind of, I, I mean, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. I said, in a sense, like we had like, we had the generation of teachers that came before us who they followed the method exactly and they got certain results. We've seen what that was. So we kind of have a choice now. Do we just follow in those footsteps exactly or do we start to experiment and see maybe there's a different way and maybe we can get a different result? But you know, Mark, it feels like the teachers that are older, they, yeah. they actually more prescribe to what you are, they subscribe to what you're saying rather than, it, it feels like it's a diff, it's a more younger generation that is uh, more yes. strict. Yes, there's, there's been a rise in like a very orthodox approach. I think it's, you know, it's the the balance of opposites that we find everywhere in the world, you know, so like as there's been more and more people uh, branching out and opening up, there's also been just as many people or a strong, maybe not as many people or I don't know what it is, but like a, a, a strong sort of voice or opinion in the other direction of being more and more orthodox. I would say, I, and, I, and I definitely see it as a generational line in a way. Yes, I see it big time. I'm very aware of it. <laughs> you sort of fall into the older, and, uh, you're sort of I'm, an old soul. <laughs> you fall into the older generation. Yeah. Yeah, like in one of my, one of my students went to practice with one of the new generation teachers recently. And uh, when they told them, when, when my student told that teacher who, that I was their teacher, that that teacher's response was, well, we teach traditional yoga here. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so that's, so I, I'm, I'm aware that there's, that would be the feeling amongst this new generation of what I'm doing would be that it's, you know, not correct. I won't even go down this road because one of the most common <laughs> questions is like, what direction should my back foot be facing in Parsvottanasana? And <laughs> it becomes yeah. curious to me that that's so important. And that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. Do you think that maybe you started uh, off with Eileen Hall as your teacher, right? She was your first teacher. She was not my first teacher, but she was like my uh, one of my earliest teachers. One of your earliest teachers. Yeah, she was my first like proper Ashtanga teacher. You were with Olivia yeah. Sue back then, right? You both were students of hers. That, absolutely, yeah, that's right. In those days, there was uh, also there like my teachers at that school were Peter Sanson and Matthew Sweeney. So it was it was a yeah, it was a good place to be at that time. Do you think that sort of influenced your direction? Oh, absolutely. That's that's my roots for sure. And you, and it, it was. I think it's really cool that one of your first teachers was a woman, and it's just so rare, especially for you practicing when you were. Yeah, right. Yeah, I hadn't really, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, the main thing that Eileen really 
taught me was how to understand the mysore room like how to you know like she really saw it as a moving energy in a sense you know keeping keeping the energy flow within the room not getting stuck on one person and giving a long lecture to you know like going into a big discussion with one student and forgetting about the rest of the the room like really being able to move around the room making sure that everybody is seen everybody is feels like they've been seen and heard and you know touching uh getting around to everybody you know even if it's just a hand on the back at least that person knows that they've been seen it's like a whole other practice huh yeah Oh yeah, the teaching in my room is definitely it's an art. I really hope to make it to one of the sessions that you guys have in either Bali or yeah, Goa. Yeah, sure, I, sure. I well, Megan is making the. I don't know if you know this, but she is just got her year work long work visa for Australia, and oh really? Yeah. <laughs> mm, so that's I, cool. I think I need to go to that side of the world a little bit more often next year. And we, really? yeah. Where, where is she going to live? Well, go ahead, tell them, Megan. Uh, I'll be in Byron Bay. Oh, yeah. So with Dana. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So we're going to be coming over there. So is Deepika right now? Is she out surfing? <laughs> she could have been. She the last you said you saw that she's learning to surf. Well, I was so excited for her. Yes, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, she's doing so good. It's amazing. No, she's actually uh, she's gone to practice with Rolf. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. I I just love watching the two of you together in your posts. I love what you bring each other. And you seem to, you just, you both bring out the best in each other. Yeah, I think so. Thank you for that. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, as you know, any relationship has a lot of, uh, you, need, you need both, right? Challenge and support. So we challenge each other a lot, but we support each other a lot. So it's, yeah, it's been it's a beautiful thing. Well, as I watch you look into dance and she goes out surfing. I just think that oh, yeah. it's beautiful. <laughs> There's the yeah. opposites, right? There it is. Exactly. The balance of opposites. The balance of opposites. Yeah. I mean, pretty different coming from Australian culture and Indian culture. You know, that uniting has been uh, quite a process. That's a whole other podcast, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, maybe next time we can have you both on here. I would love to, to talk with the both of you together. Maybe we'll just plan our trip to Bali. Hello. And yeah, some Byron's not so far. Byron's not so far. I think this is in the works. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for taking time out this morning and talking with us. No, it was a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. My gosh. Just, we really just love your work and appreciate how generously you offer information and just you're such a creative soul and you have so much wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you get on with the rest of your day and it's bedtime here in Montana. Okay. Let's sleep well. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for spending your time with us today. We are a really small team. It's just my daughter, Megan, and me. And we work hard to find inspiring individuals like Mark 
who make this practice come to life and then bring them to you, all without any third-party advertising or interruptions. So if you're enjoying these podcasts, and we hope you are, please take a moment to help support. You can follow us, Stronger Dispatch, on Facebook or Instagram and share this podcast. Or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Perhaps leave us a rating or even take the extra time to leave a review. And of course, you can always visit ashtangadispatch.com and make a donation in any amount. Trust me, it all really helps. Thank you.